Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by 90s catchphrases. Oh, no, you didn't. Now, let's kill the lights and turn this mother out. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Scooby Snacks. The perfect crunchies for when you get the munchies. Be the goodest boy and treat yourself to a Scooby Snack. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers. Um, I'm a writer, director, editor, uh, one-man band, and more. Uh, Todd's a musician, producer, uh, actor, and editor. I mean, you wear a lot of hats on your side, too. Um, At one point or another, we've pretty much done every single aspect of filmmaking. And so uh, we try to bring that bit of knowledge and insight into what we do here talking about films for fun and also for like analysis what can we learn about the filmmaking process Um, because some things aren't obvious we were talking before the show started I was catching up yesterday to meet up with a friend somewhere around the country and my friend um, turned out to have been in a documentary about a, a trip that they made to and it became like uh, a thing and it was really fascinating because they had this whole conversation with the the producers of the documentary beforehand about like hey there are certain things we want to protect you know privacy being one of them hence all my squishiness about you know being too specific about this that and the third and they were like so we want to make sure that you don't include you know the location you know, like try to make sure you know you change their name you know make sure that you know we do everything we can to uh, protect our privacy yet still get this story out in the most responsible way and the producers were very accommodating um they were very like okay no we get it we get it and when they showed up to to shoot the doc they were shoot the way i imagine it so the, they're telling me about this right so they're they're telling me like yeah, you know, we they were really good about understanding our concerns and, you know, and they did a great job of like blurring things out uh, whenever they were shooting it. You know, you, you don't really get a good sense of the environment. You don't really even see anyone around them. And I was, in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know what they probably did was shoot really long lenses. That way you narrow the field of view a lot that, you know, make sure a number of things. One, you're probably going to get a lot more depth of field. So background is a lot more blurry. Um, but it also cuts down. Yeah. The, the wider angles are no longer available. So you can't see anything that might give away the, where, what part of the country you're in, um, the location, any, any kind of specific details. And then of course it was, I, the, the other interesting thing is when you shoot longer lenses like that, I, I'm interested, I haven't seen the doc yet. And so I'll be interested to sit down and watch it, but I assume it also puts us much more in their personal space. So that you can read their emotions a lot more uh, just to see what's going through their mind as they do whatever it is that they're doing in the doc. Um, And I was just thinking about all that. And the other thing, you know, I didn't get into this big conversation with my friend, but I was like, this is why you discuss these things beforehand and pre-production. You don't want to show up to set and then start throwing your producer a bunch of ifs, ands, buts, asterisks, things to think about. It's like... We think about that before we arrive. That way we show up with the proper equipment. We know how best to approach telling this story. Pre-production to me is the single most important phase of any project. 
Like I spend much more time in pre-production than I do in on set for sure, but uh, probably even in post. Um, if I look at some of my biggest projects, I spent, you know, six months in pre-production, whereas I might've spent two weeks shooting and then maybe two or three weeks in post, like getting it all finished up. That's how important pre-production is. And if you really want to make sure everything's being handled responsibly and appropriately, it really pays, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely applies to production whenever you know, okay, this is the the parameters that we have to work on, uh, work within. Now we can do the absolute best to make sure everyone is happy on the other side. Um, yeah, what's your what's your take on pre-production? I mean, yeah, it, it's for a lot of my early career, I thought, you know what, we, let's just run and gun, you know, and, and let's just, let's just get it done. But it just, it just makes all, all the early decisions make the day of so much easier. And it's not like just going in and being creative it, because there's so many people involved, so many circumstances. I mean, you're looking at light, you're looking at, at, um, at sets, you're looking at, are there a lot of people around that you have to navigate? You're looking at, you know, what do I want my frame to look like? Did I bring the right lenses? Uh, did I bring the right camera? You know, how, how is the, um, the subject feeling that day? Like there's, there's just so many outliers that if you're not prepared for not necessarily the worst, but for, uh, for specific circumstances that you think about beforehand might be in might you might need to handle. Then when you get in that scenario, you you don't know how to make a decision. I mean, I, I know that I've seen a clip of uh, Jonah Hill um, being asked by uh, Howard Stern, what his, who his favorite director is. And, and instantly he says Scorsese and, and you've seen that. No, but I just automatically knew <laughs> like it's got to be Scorsese. It's, yeah. Right. And, and, but his reasoning was interesting. His reasoning was like, not for any other reason other than he, he know he solved, he instantly solves very complex problems. He's able to, you're, you're able to see him in real time, you know, sit, pause for 20 or 30 seconds and then solve a problem that would have taken anybody else, you know, like a day or a week to figure out. And he just figures it out. And that comes from a place of, of experience. Yes, but also preparation. And if you're not, if you're not prepared for something that the, the possibility of some, some specific thing happening, then you don't know how to respond to it and fix it in the moment when you've got so many people relying on your decision-making and your, your art relying on your decision-making, it's really hard to, to get into a place where you don't know how, how to take the next step forward. So yeah, pre-production, so important. I just thought it was really cool when we were talking earlier about how you noticed, you were like, oh, they probably used a long lens and they probably, <laughs> like you were calling out what they probably did and you're probably right. <laughs> I would be so fascinated to hear about some of those specific instances of when Scorsese does that because in my mind, I'm thinking... I, I am so in agreement with you that the pre-production is what really pays off because in order to make those kind of decisions on set in real time, you have to understand the structure of your story and the point of what you're trying to accomplish that day. Like what's the point of this scene and how does it fit into the larger story that I'm trying to tell? Because if it's not important that, you know, the squib, you know, shoots blood into the camera then, okay, we don't need to do that. Instead, what we can do is 
and uh, uh, just get the reverse angle. We see the shooter, right, firing the gun. And now it's like, okay, now we can really uh, still emotionally engage. We can still uh, punch the audience because the whole point isn't necessarily to get this visual effect. It's to whatever, do this other thing. And if the point is to get blood on the the lens, maybe that's some kind of thematic uh, thing that he's going for that day that plays into whatever, Goodfellas, violence or something. Uh, then it's like, okay, maybe we can still get that without actually seeing the bullet strike. Now let's raise the camera, you know, eight inches and we'll put it on his face and we'll still have the blood hit, but the squib isn't working. We don't need it. We just need the blood or whatever. Like I can only imagine like, because he is one of the greatest. I mean, he's, he's a Titan of, of the industry. Um, and so I would just love to hear from, you know, both of them, Jonah Hill's perspective, but also Scorsese's perspective, whenever some of those specific things, what happened, what he adjusted and why uh, he made those adjustments. And I just really, I would throw my money on, you know, the, the table that it's all about making sure I understand what the point of my story is, what I was trying to accomplish and how can I still accomplish that with the new wrinkle of whatever he's wrestling on the day of. But it all goes back to exactly the point, you know, we've been talking about, which is pre-production is everything. You just, mm -hmm. you have to know your story to your point. You have to know things you could run into and how, how you solve those problems. Uh, if you can see around that corner, there's no story you can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what story are we looking at today, man? Today, we are covering 1993's Menace to Society. So if you haven't seen this film, please go uh, pause this episode and go watch it. We're going to spoil a lot of stuff. Uh, I believe it is streaming on HBO Max or Max, whatever they're calling <laughs> whatever it these days. Doing. For sure. We'll look at a, a handful of things. Um, mostly, I think I want to look at you know the story and writing, uh, do some analyzing of the opening scene, talk about morality tales and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film, a young street hustler attempts to escape the rigors and temptations of the ghetto in a quest for a better life. It's directed by the Hughes brothers, screenplay by Tiger Williams, cinematography by Lisa Rinsler. It's featuring uh, Tyrion Turner as Kane, Lorenz Tate as Odog, Jada Pinkett Smith as Ronnie, Vontae Sweet as Sharif, Charles S. Dutton as Mr. Butler. Not much, just chatting. Yeah, we talking about this Kansas trip. Kansas? So what about Kansas? So what are you gonna do, KD? You gonna fuck around out there in the streets till you get killed? Like your cousin, maybe? What's that, sir? Well, Sharif tells me him and Stacy I've been trying to get you to leave with him. Yeah, but... I don't know about no Kansas. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I hear you there, you know. I was teasing Sharif about that before you came in. But what are you going to do if you stay? You know, Sharif used to get into all kinds of shit before he found the nation. Now, I'm no Muslim, but I agree with some of the things they say regarding black people. And if Allah helps to make him a better man than Jesus can, then I'm all for it. So what you trying to say, Mr. Butler? Whatever changes you have to make. 
and you just do it. You got to think about your life. Being a black man in America isn't easy. The hunt is on. And you're the prey. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, survive. All right? All right, man. So for me, this was a childhood staple. Like I, I almost have the movie memorized and we watched it so many times uh, as a kid. I'm suspecting this was your first go. <laughs> Why are you suspecting that? Uh, I, I just, I don't know. There, there's something about Minister society that I didn't assume would cross paths with Todd Tapio. Uh, and so if, if <laughs> with so, a, with that's a... totally cool. Uh, this is just my assumption, but first time watching it. And if not, you know, how does it hold up, uh, since the last time you did? Yeah. It's the first time. Okay. Watching yeah. it. <laughs> What 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 about the the Catholic school upbringing, uh, you know, <laughs> private school, uh, you know, um, going Texas A and M? Did you think uh, meant that I hadn't watched Menace to Society forty times by the time I was sixteen? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I'm under no delusion how wide I am. So first time, I mean, this is literally thirty years after it came out. Um, no. I'm going to. Like, this is the first time I've probably watched it since I was a kid. And I definitely noticed some bumps and bruises uh, as far as, like, whatever, style and filmmaking. Well, maybe not style, but filmmaking for sure. But I'm curious, like, Smooth Ride, uh, what was your experience kind of watching this, I don't know, historical film for me anyway? Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting because you know, let's just talk for, first on the the filmmaking and uh, decision aspect, you know, like, um, having nothing to do with the story in general. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, I think that like the wonders they, they chose were really interesting. Like the, the one specifically that I noticed is him walking through the party, walking mm -hmm. up with his cousin, yeah. walking through the party, which is just beautiful and awesome. And the blocking was really, really great and that's the first time we get introduced to and i forget his name but the the kid who was sitting next to him in that in that shot um, sharif yeah the muslim kid sharif it's the first time we meet him and we find out what he's all about it, it's just like it, which i think is super important because you know he dies at the end pretty brutally and um and when he was a pacifist basically uh and and so it it was Anyway, so the wonder and the, there's several wonders throughout the entire film, and I think that they're they're interesting and they create. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this in terms of 1993 too. You know, it's like it's now. I feel like the wonder is mm -hmm. is like so. I'm over it. You know, yeah, like same. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, but I'm thinking of it in terms of 1993 when this is it's harder to do. You know, and done less, and so I'm. It, with that in mind like oh okay i'm i'm in this i'm with them and it it brought me in i thought a lot of the acting was really strong i thought that it was really it felt really honest and real the camera work i didn't really see the camera too much you know like i thought the camera was was 
I'm thinking of this in terms of 1993 and in 1993, there wasn't, I I feel like, man, this is really strong for that, that time. I mean, now, yeah, I don't think it would hold up necessarily uh, with today's filmmaking, but not, not, it's not far off. You know, I think that, Mm -hmm. that shooting that today, the same person shooting that today might make a few different decisions, but a lot of it is really solid that the lighting was beautiful in a lot of cases um i mean what was the the when his his father kills that guy he sees that guy get killed for the first time jackson yeah it was sam jackson and that slow that slow motion shot with the red hue on him it was just like you know i felt i i felt i felt the decisions rather than saw the decisions yeah and I thought that that was great storytelling. So let me also get, and then, you know, seeing a young Jada Pinkett Smith was, was really cool. You know, Um, it's just really cool. Just speaking on the actual story, you know, it's really hard for, I mean, mean, I'm going to be honest, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of, of Houston and uh, went to a private school and all that stuff. And we didn't have much money, but my parents found ways to make it work. It, and I don't know why I just said that. Cause who cares? Like it, it mm. doesn't matter. But at the same time, like this is not a world that I've ever been a part of. And so I, it was really hard for me to, to watch. Uh, and I, not because of the, the violence, even just because of the decision-making mm. of the people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, it was like, it was like, okay, violence in films is 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 violence sometimes it's for the sake of it and it's like why you know why did you Mm -hmm. have to make that decision and it but in this case it was different it was like why did those characters make that decision not why did the filmmaker or why did the writer make that decision and because and if that's why i feel like this film is really good because i'm i'm with the characters and i'm asking myself i'm like like okay he didn't really do anything to you why did you have to shoot him as a character, you know, but that it felt very much like a decision from a human being, uh, you know, in the story, not the writer. And which is why it felt it was so hard for me to watch because I'm just thinking like, this is real. This is, happens every day. It happened in 93. It happened before then it's happening now. And it's just so hard for me to see somebody make such a final decision on something that really doesn't matter at all. Well, to me. Right. You know, obviously what matters to these characters and these people is, is different. So, yeah, so that that's all I'll say for now, because I'm really curious as to your experience watching this after so long. Yeah, I, it, it was kind of wild. I'm because, yeah, I, I don't think I've probably seen this since since I was probably, you know, 16. And this came out when I was like, I don't know, 12. Um, I didn't see it when I was 12 I, I, because it was in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters and I probably saw it when I was like 13 and then watched it like on a loop, you know, with friends, you know, for the next several years before you finally move on to other stuff, whatever Friday comes out and you're like, okay, <laughs> now, now we're on to Friday. Um, yeah. but it was interesting rewatching it because at the time I couldn't necessarily, I felt, but I couldn't necessarily see where the, film came from in parts like watching it now i could see oh i can see juice uh influence i can see the influence of boys in the hood and i could just start to feel all the textures around it around the time that it came out uh so much more i mean 
Jada Pinkett Smith was on her meteoric rise because uh, I didn't have, I didn't watch a lot of TV. And so she was on a different world. Um, and I, I didn't get to really watch more than one or two episodes of that. And so I didn't know her from that. I knew her from this, from Jason's lyric, uh, from the inkwell. And so, cause again, for the new listener, like all my reference in, in childhood was like 90% movie and then like 10% TV shows. Like I, you know, as far as popular entertainment and, you know, Lorenz Tate was on his rise, same thing, inkwell and, uh, love Jones, you know, a few years after this. And that was kind of crazy seeing, him and love Jones after seeing him as O-Dog uh, because O-Dog was like a character, you know, he was kind of the Bishop, uh, you know, from juice and just his erratic nature and uh, aggressive, you know, personality, but he was so much different too. Cause uh, Bishop was kind of almost a one directional character. O-Dog is a really fascinating character. Whenever you start thinking about both the violence that he's capable of at any second, he could explode um, and at the same time, how much love and compassion that he has for his friends around him like that. He's a really fascinating character to me, the most fascinating character in here. And yeah, so watching it this time, I, I'm so familiar intimately with this movie that watching it now was like, oh, there's an edit, there's an edit. Um, uh, and so I saw all the mechanics underneath it. And then I started the rewatch. I didn't get a full two watches in because I was traveling all day yesterday, but I watched it this morning. I got up really early. Uh, watch <laughs> 8 a.m. is not the time to sit and watch Minutes to Society. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not an 8 a.m. movie. Um, and so I got through it. And I started the rewatch. And then suddenly I, I had the same experience as you. I was suddenly now with the characters again. And I was much more emotionally in tune with what was happening on screen. And, and it's a fascinating movie. I mean, for me as a kid, anyway, growing up, this was voyeurism because same, I mean, I grew up in a really tiny town where there was a bunch of wannabe gangsters, you know, and I mean, not to say that violence didn't happen, but it wasn't as erratic and chaotic as it was here. Like you could usually see the violence in my town coming and you could also know when, Oh, someone's making a threat. Like we had school lockdowns in the nineties for drive-by threats. And we, we would laugh about it. Cause we're like, yeah, we know, you know, we don't, even if we didn't know who was making the threat, we knew, yeah, it, we're fine. Like no one's going to actually pull a drive-by on our school, but as administration, you take that stuff seriously. And so we would lock down for half the day or whatever until, I don't know, uh, the tea leaves, red, green light or something. I don't know what <laughs> decisions they were making. What's the decision that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that matrix, I don't know. But yeah, and so watching something like this for us was voyeurism of like, oh, this is what it's really like, you know, in, in all these other neighborhoods. You know, we could watch this or uh, Juice in New York and see what all these other communities are like. And some kids would take it too far and try to emulate and, whatever talk trash to your friends using some of the dialogue in here like that that was kind of what this was for me and for all my friends like this is just a window um and we knew what it was for what it was but what's interesting too is also in context of other films of the time like juice we saw juice as a heightened drama not necessarily fundamental to reality this and it's funny because if you were to watch back to back juice and menace you wouldn't see it the what I'm talking about, 
We watched Menace and we're like, oh, no, this is that real shit. Whereas we watch Juice and say, oh, this is crazy. Like, this is just, this is a good write, you know, this is interesting writing. Um, same, and whereas you watch Menace and you watch uh, uh, Boys in the Hood and you're like, oh, this is someone's trauma on screen that we're watching right now. And that's, that's a different animal. Like, this is a beast of a whole other, you know, making. And the empathy changes while watching this versus watching a thriller like juice. Um, and so it's just interesting if you're familiar with, you know, uh, these kinds of films, then you can watch them with different emotions in, in play. Um, whereas if you're not as familiar, like uh, if you are like you and it's like, this is my first time watching it, they probably all run together. And it's like, oh, there's, there's not a big difference between, you know, or maybe not, maybe you would see it. And maybe it's something that is more universal than I can appreciate. And so, yeah, watching it this time, though, I, I could see more of the mechanics at play. And that was a, an interesting experience to be like, oh, but I also remember that like the Hughes brothers were in their early 20s, like 21, 22, making this movie. That's so mind blowing. I you put a camera in my hands at, you know, 21 and mm -hmm. I shoot my feet. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I lose yeah. a toe like these guys. They got it. They just were fresh. And I completely agree, man. Like when this came out, it was fresh and it still holds up. Like you said, 90%. Like, yeah, okay. You, you probably tweak a few things. You tighten a few bolts, but you don't really make any overarching changes. You don't need to. Like it's all there in play and it's telling the emotional story that you're trying to tell. Um, and you're, you're working through these scenes in the exact way you would want to work through it today. Um, like, all the camera placements there, like it's just a little bit of whatever experience probably, you know, behind the camera and for their first outing. Now they had shot music videos and that's kind of how they made their name is shooting like videos for Tupac and some other people. And so they, they had experience and that's still an avenue for filmmakers today is, you know, shooting music videos and getting repped off that and slowly building up your, your uh, repertoire. Um, but yeah, so I don't know, man. Uh, I'm I'm all over the map right now, but I I love it still, and I'm still glad that it holds up. I, you're kind of my window into this movie, you know, in in contemporary, you know, film because I was like, I was very, I'm kind of moved that it still works. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, these guys made something that it's gonna last for a while, and that's that's the dream because these guys went on to make crazy films like from hell why just picture the guys making this movie making a period piece about jack the ripper like what <laughs> that's so cool that's the coolest yeah. thing in the world and that's why i love filmmakers because you're artists at the end of the day you're you're here to tell stories and as long as the story moves you and is interesting to you you can tell any story you want they didn't get backed into okay we only make Minister society and dead presidents like they they said we can t we can do whatever we want just give us a chance um and yeah i i'm just in love with you know their their story um as filmmakers and their boldness to to be honest um i can imagine it, it was hard you know to to sit down and say what's the story we're going to tell for our first big movie okay let's let's figure that out let's work through the pieces do we pull punches or do we do we lean in? And my God, did they lean in? Because uh, mm -hmm. this story is 
it's packing a punch. Yeah. And it starts with the opening. Like that opening scene is strong. And it's, it's very much the whole idea of, right. Start as late as you can into your story. Don't, don't show us waking up unless we need to see the character waking up. If, if that's an important moment in this story, let's do that. They said the most important moment is to see who they are really. Um, and it's so emotionally compelling and obviously memorable. Like this has been referenced time and memoriam. You watch, you talk to anybody who grew up on these movies and uh, you, you know, you say, what you say about my mama? Like, I promise mm-hmm. they know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, uh, I suck your d- yeah, yeah. <laughs> What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like every, every man, every scene in here has something. And I love as we're starting like new line cinema, the logos have, we're, we're getting the audio prelapse and it's just perfect mm-hmm. because it feels like a much longer one than it is. Because it starts before they enter the store even. We're in the first shot already. We've started this world. And we're hearing kind of background noise about what they're going to be doing tonight. And you hear them talk to somebody outside. Like, no, you know, get away from here. Whatever. Uh, And you can already start to feel the texture before we even have the visual. Um, It's expanding the world. And then this whole first scene establishes the kind of world that we're in. Shows our characters in their worst light. That's a really fascinating starting point. Let's watch our heroes murder someone and then rob them and then make fun of them afterwards. Like that's a wild starting point for a film because this is who we're rooting for. Now let's see if we can make you love them. And so we back up, we start to add context. Okay. Let's, let's, let's start way back. Watts riots. Let's go back to the sixties. And see some historical context for this neighborhood that we're growing up in. Cool. Got it? Good. Let's talk about Cain. Let's see his history. Let's see what he grew up around. And the, the, the forces that you know were compelling him to move one way or another. Okay, here's his mom. She's strung out. And what's really fascinating is this writer has gone on to work on Snowfall. And you combine Snowfall with Cain's backstory. You're telling a very strong, compelling story about... Uh, this black community, it's, it's very powerful. Um, the, the war on drugs and where that comes from, how it started, like that's very informative. And we just get a very small glimpse, um, with absolutely no context because Kane doesn't have context. He's a little kid. He doesn't get context. Mm-hmm. So we don't get context. Um, and then we see, right. Kane on the porch with, uh, Purnell. And what's interesting about that is we see that whole scene, reenacted later in the film when Kane's on the porch and then Ant walks out. How does he treat Ant? What's his relationship? It's protective. Like, no, don't give him anything. He's starting to pick up on the father figure role and how to do it differently. And then Purnell did who he respects. Um, and it's not out of contempt. It's trying to grow up at 18, try to be responsible for a child at 18. I mean, it's, it's a really big film with big ideas. And one of the things that I really love about this film, and it's so subtle that if you don't know you're seeing it, you just don't understand it is the, the influence of Hollywood gangster films. So very early on, right. He's in the hospital and he's watching these old, I don't remember what it was, public enemy or something. And this is kind of also a juice uh, homage. Well, 
Kane is in, he's watching this black and white gangster film. And what you need to understand is gangster films were a huge, huge Hollywood genre for decades, like early Hollywood. I'm not talking about whatever Scarface, early, you know, 80s, Goodfellas, all those kind of, you know, gangster films. I'm talking about the foundation, the roots in Hollywood. Um, Blockbusters were gangster films. Public Enemy, the original Scarface, Gangster Squad, White Heat, which was, I think, referenced in Juice. Like, these are old black and whites. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pointing that out for a number of reasons. One, this is, it's in the film. It's being referenced for a reason. And I think there's two reasons is my takeaway as a, you know, now filmmaker, you know, adult is I'm looking and I'm saying, oh, one, it's an homage. But two, it's also reminding the audience what they're seeing is not new. Yeah, we're watching, you know, a black film that's kind of in the gangster genre, but don't act like you haven't seen this before. Don't act shocked. Don't act brand new. Like, oh, black violence. How dare you put that on screen and, you know, exploit it and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, grab your ass and have a seat because this is old classic Hollywood shit. Don't act above it and beyond it. This is the roots of Hollywood. And, and if you sit here and try to tarnish it as, you know, glamorizing uh, violence, you're missing a much, much bigger picture. And now you might need to analyze where that opinion and that thought process is really coming from. And I'll just leave that. Great there. point, dude. Great point. I, I, I absolutely felt that in the, in the hospital scene where, cause like, why show that? Mm-hmm. Why I'll show that. And I, and it, it was like so specific that he had just gotten shot. Right. And now he's, and he's watching this movie and we're watching this movie with him. I mean, they can't from everything from the camera angle that they, that they use to the specific scene of that film that we're seeing hearing the gunshots. It's just, it's like, okay, okay. Well, it, it was very, it was very on the nose and, and, and yeah. actually, I mean, if I'm being, I mean, I'm just, just a, yeah, just please. like how Stream of conscience. I felt, yeah, I felt more okay watching the film. Mm. It was like a little bit of a reprieve because I was like, it was like, Oh, it's not just, this is reality. It's like, no, this is, this is happen- It doesn't matter if you're black or white, like this happens. Right. So that's yeah. not, it's not just because we're not seeing any white people in this film, you know, it's not, you know, just this world it's the world right and Mm. and there are there are others that came before this and so just pointing that out really really quickly and then we go back to the story it great great point there nicely said and what's interesting too is we follow that up pretty quickly with another scene with his grandparents and they're watching Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful life Right? Yes. And then his, his grandfather's look, he's like, <laughs> he like tilts his, uh, like very subtly, like just tilts his head and kind of grins at the corner of his mouth, whatever. <laughs> and you can see Kane just like, Oh my God, when will this end? <laughs> he hates it. He hates it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's pointed because like he can't relate to that world. And so the world that he can relate to is the one of violence. And they're presenting this world of, forgiveness and love and miracles or whatever. And, uh, he's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm watching right now. I forget. I don't know if it was, it's a wonderful life or miracle on 40, whatever street, but it's one of these, 
is it okay uh but it's it's one of these like feel good like okay things are gonna end up well and it's like that's not my story i don't know why we're watching this Mm because that's not my story kind of thing and and i don't think that's where the the references end to me and this is getting much more into my own projecting here but i love that as the film goes on we meet sharif we meet i forget the, the 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 football player's name but it he's he's going to, he's going to go play football in Kansas and i love that they kind of make fun of it right kansas you're going to bring home some devil he's like nah dad you know i love my black women and you know they're making a whole joke about it but i love that it's kansas because to me it's another light very very light reference to uh, wizard of oz because dorothy wakes up from her nightmare in kansas right um and so to me it's like playing this other idea like there's another place for you to escape to and he's like that's not for me but what he does find you know hope in uh he finds hope in atlanta where you know ronnie's going and that's an interesting comparison to kansas kansas being you know a super white you know state and atlanta being a much bigger black community and population and so he's finding another place to start over um that would be a little bit more accommodating uh for what he wants to see in a community um and so i love kind of that contrast of it doesn't matter <laughs> like if you want to just find a place there's a place and it's not that far you can move to the other side of the country and find something there too you know um but where you're at right now just isn't working for you for whatever reason yeah the other thing you know let's talk about morality tales um, because this is a complex morality tale i think normally morality tales kind of leave you at the end with a much clearer perspective of right and wrong like even if it's not necessarily clear that the character chose right or wrong you as the viewer viewer normally have a very strong opinion about what was right and wrong here it feels like we're playing into a morality tale because there's so many moral conversations happening, you know, particularly through Sharif and his dad and his grandparents, right? There's there. I feel like religion is the excuse to discuss morality. It's not used as the pure compass of what's right or wrong. It's kind of the, the, the navigational equipment. Um, but I, I think you get to the end of this film and there really is no compass. There, because there doesn't seem to be any logic for who lives and dies, right? It's, oh, if, if that were the case, Odog should be dead, right? Sharif should be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, it's just chaos because going throughout the film, it starts to establish some really interesting expectations, right? Choices and consequences start to create tension and a sense of gravity, right? We're going to open on a murder and we're going to... Uh, flashback to his dad killing a guy um and we're gonna see uh, a carjacking and uh then the revenge for the carjacking and then we're gonna see people go to jail and die for their actions right uh and so there's just this cycle of violence that gets repeated so as we see new violence happen and take place we begin anticipating a consequence for that you know act whether it's you know uh cain getting you know jacking that dude for this Dayton's for his for his rims um or 
you know, kicking that dude when he's down or uh, pistol whipping his buddy Chauncey, right? This is a guy that had his back earlier in the film and now he's pistol whipping him. And so you begin to anticipate like there's a, a, a logic to what's happening. You do this, X could happen. But at the same time, not all violence is a result of your choices, right? Because at the beginning, he gets jacked and shot. That was completely random. There was no rhyme or reason to it. We don't know these guys. And they take out their vengeance and we never see these guys again. It's not, no, this is kind of the anti, uh, um, maybe that's a bit strong, but anti Chekhov's gun, right? Where just because you see a thing happen doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come back later. Like sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Same thing, the cops, right? Jump Sharif and, and Kane. That's completely random. And remember, Sharif gets jumped and we know he's a good kid. That's his whole deal. That's his whole place in this film is to be a righteous guy, uh, a, a light for his friends. And so the fact that the cops are beating this guy down, you can't look at this and say, maybe something happened off screen that we just don't know about. No, because again, Sharif is there. We know this is just a random act of violence from these cops for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. And so there's no, we get to the end of this film. My point is we get to the end of this film and there's really no clear path for each character to have taken in order to exit safely because Sharif ends up dead. That's a good kid. He was getting out. He was about to go to Kansas. Uh, you know, Kane, maybe he had it coming. Maybe he didn't. I mean, but he was trying to get out. He was almost there. And so it's, it's trying to leave you with a, a gut sickening uh, repulsion for what happened because it almost becomes even more senseless, senseless if you let all these characters get out alive. And this is where you're supposed to walk out and say, Oh, what am I doing? Do I want to end up like this? This is made for a specific community. It wasn't made for me as a kid, right? It's not made for me as an adult either, you know, per se. I was going to say that. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's made for a very specific community and if it can, you know, help whatever them as storytellers and, you know, move in their career all the better, but it's, it's made for very specific people and totality of it. Right. It's, there's a lot going on here that's much deeper and much higher uh, than any one perspective that you want to uh, take on it, because it is also in a Hollywood tradition of telling violent films um, just as much as it's very specific and telling a specific story about a specific community um, that I don't identify with. Um, and so, yeah, for all those reasons, man, I, I think it's just an excellent film. If, if I had to pick uh, my, my star, like Lorenz Tate is, he's a King, man. I just, I love Lorenz Tate. Uh, Odog will forever be an incredible performance. Um, and just seeing, like if you back to back watch Menace and Love Jones and watch Lorenz, Lorenz Tate, you just believe him. You believe him each time. Like he, yeah, he's that guy. Or and sandwich the inkwell in between. You're like, oh man, he is O Dog, and he is this nerdy kid who can't get laid, and now he is this you know completely smooth lover. Like it's just a really big revelation of how wildly talented uh, that guy is. Yeah, God, I had the other notes. I must have deleted it because I'm a ding dong. Yeah. Anyway, so just from my, I can, I think I can say at the same time as saying, man, what a 
well-made, like, like timely, timeless in, in a lot of ways film. And at the same time say, I never want to watch it again. Yeah. You know, for a couple of reasons, one that, that it was that real. Right. Um, and, and that it wasn't made for someone like me, at least it doesn't feel like maybe it was, <laughs> maybe it was, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like a look, you know, just remember, uh, you know, how lucky you are that you don't have to deal with that kind of shit. Right. But at the same time, it's just, it's like, when I, when I watch movies that are violent, um, like, okay, Casino is another mm. film that I just can't watch again. It's because, and a lot of it is, is Joe Pesci's character is Odog's character mm. of a do not give an F about any, anything. And, and it's easy. It's, it's, it's easy to like have a character that doesn't but to watch all these like final decisions based on apathy of like a hundred percent apathy of anyone else other than yourself is, is really difficult for me to, to see and, and to constantly see. So like a film like casino, it's three hours long of all that or a film like this, where I'm just watching O-Dog just like destroy people. Like the, the guy, like the, I just I think about the guy behind the counter and I think about the um, the strung out druggy skinny guy that that he shoots just in the alley. And his friends are like, what are you doing, man? You know, and they just <laughs> walk away. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't I it it is a world that I I just I it, it's hard for me to imagine exists. And so maybe that's why, you know, it is made for for someone like me to say. I just want to let you know that this is a thing. I just want to let you know while you're sitting up there in in you know your comfortable house or whatever with your kids and and it, there's no guns around you and everything that this exists. FYI, and for that reason, I'm glad I watched it. For that reason, I'm glad you know that I have been made aware in a way that hit, that hits me in a way that a film like this can only only a film like this can do. That being said, I just don't like putting myself in that situation. Like, and and there were a couple of moments at the end where I was a I was going to be so mad if that kid died. Oh yeah, if the kid oh. on the big wheel. Yeah, like I would have been mad at you. Yeah, like it, honestly, <laughs> yeah. because you know me. Yeah, you know, and so that's why I was I was watching. I was like, <laughs> I was started. I felt it in my gut. I was like, I was about to get really mad, and then I realized, no, Wes is going to take care of me. Yes, right. <laughs> I know he's seen this film before. I'm pretty okay. I, I understand this kid's not going to die. Yeah, and and thankfully, you know, I would all never right, so. not give you a heads up. Like, hey, yeah, that's the yeah. one thing yeah. that you know that like I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I felt okay. But anyway, just wanted to say that that like like it's it's I I also feel like I can't really speak to it. You know, I like I don't have. Yeah. I don't have a platform. It's not my place to speak to, you know? Well, I think the thing that I, I also appreciate about this playing for other audiences is it's so easy, man, in politics to hear someone in DC start ranting about 
uh, or whatever, even friends on Facebook, you know, start just going off about violence in Chicago and violence in the inner city. And uh, it, it's such a paint by numbers kind of idea of how to fix some of these problems. And it's like, okay, fine. Great. Congratulations. You have all the answers. Guess what? There's people, little kids growing up in these communities. And for you to sit here and act like they're the, the, the solution for them is so simple and cut and dry um, you're, you're completely negating the human element and watching something like this can maybe lend empathy for like, okay, maybe it's not as easy as I think, um, to just walk away and to, to change your life. Um, and yeah, maybe it's a, a, a flare, not need, not even necessarily for help. I don't know. That's, that's a whole other bigger conversation. Uh, but just for, like empathy, if nothing else, like mm-hmm. just stop thinking, you know, everything for one second um, and stop using some of these communities as your own personal punching bag to make some kind of political point. Yeah. Grow up yeah. is, is kind of my, my, my mentality. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, it's the only way that this film could have ended is with Kane dying. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it just had to, and, and that, to point that out, like as a filmmaking um, uh, decision to have him as the narrator, narrating his own death, you know, like, you know, I think in, internally, because I've seen so many movies, I'm thinking, man, he he's probably going to die. Mm. But also I'm hearing him talk, you know, so maybe he doesn't, you know, but then, yeah. you know, him saying, actually, I do care about living or dying, but it's too late. And then we end the whole film with the gunshot, like yeah it's also it's also i feel like a story of just like the the ignorance and the brashness or the the not real not really getting it yet the the of of, about being young Mm. right the idea of of the finality of death the idea of the loss not just of the people around you but yourself like in those moment final moments before you go like you know the idea of oh everything not, none of that mattered obviously like all the things that i did the things i cared about the revenge like it all none of it mattered because now i'm gone i'm done you know and and calling i feel like it was a call out to that of like of like look you might think you don't know if you care but you do you know like you th- it's real it really is and i mean i i say this isn't this movie wasn't made with me in mind right because this is not the community that i grew up in but that's not to say i wasn't ever faced with violent situations and sure to me this it it is good to have that character die it's uh good to watch movies like this and juice and boys in the hood and southland and you know a bunch of others that remind that are good reminders that you know there are consequences people do die uh, because there certainly were situations where i was in cars with guns being pulled out and people ready to be stupid. I, I've never owned a gun. I, that's a whole other conversation I will never get into with probably anyone, but I'm just pointing out that I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy, <laughs> but I've been in those situations and watching stuff like this is a good reminder that j- you can walk with as much swagger as you want. Bullets don't care. Like if you see stuff happening, get out the car, you know, do whatever you can because it doesn't, 
this can be you. There's nothing special about you. You're the main, you are, everyone is the main character of their own story. And I love that the main character of this story didn't make it out. That's a good reminder. And especially in this era of storytelling, because we need to see it. We're not hearing it. Music was, you know, there's a lot of gangster rap. There's a lot of, you know, uh, pop, pop, bang, bang kind of music. And very, 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 very few of those songs were about, you know, the character rapping, getting theirs. It was always, they got to pull this, you know, trigger. They came out okay. Um, They kept it real or whatever. Like, we needed to see examples of where keeping it real goes wrong, to quote Chappelle. Like, you needed to see (laughs) a a story in badly because we we really weren't seeing those messages played out in other forms of entertainment and popular culture. And so having some avenues where I got to witness this is a good like, okay, yeah, we're laughing, we're, we're pretending that it's cool. But in the back of our minds, we're also like, yeah, but you know what? People get shot and that ain't going to be me today. So I'm going to go home today. Uh, see y'all later. Um, yeah. Yep. And so I'm grateful for the messaging for sure. Um, the, the small impact that it had, you know, on my life, whatever subconscious thing was going on in my mind. Thanks to films like this. I very much appreciate it. <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? And, 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 and just the lastly, just like the, mm-hmm. the purpose of it to tell, to be, I liked how you said it earlier, like almost, you almost feel like a voyeur. It's like a voyeuristic story, you know, mm-hmm. like a, 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 a look inside the the depths of a place that like, I, you know, I don't care where you are. You don't want to be right. Right. Even if you're if you're in there, you don't want to be in there. Right. Um, and it's just like a look inside there, I think, is important. And it, it felt like an important film as I was watching it. Yeah. So, Wow. Well done, man. Um, nice. I think that's all I got. I, well, last tiny, tiny note. Classic 90s cinematography. Um, a lot of, mm-hmm. a fair amount of three-point lighting. It seems like there's a, a lot of two-point lighting to me. Like, okay, we'll have a nice rim light and a main key light. Maybe some fills, you know, sometimes, sometimes not. Just kind of depends on the shot. But also love just how much like blue light there was to kind of, cool scenes Mm -hmm. down in the background like a hallway is gonna have a blue light with some haze you know just to to give it a little more ambience it felt very classic 90s and i could feel their music video influence kind of uh subtly at play here and there yeah i love it it it, it works for me good point and and you've called out before some films how they they just don't know they don't light black people Mm. right Mm -hmm. right you know like and i've obviously the Hughes brothers like knew what they were yeah. doing and I feel like they, they did it really well. It wasn't uh, anything that I noticed. I noticed, honestly, you would notice it cause you're the you know director, but yeah, the times where they're underexposed, it's because they're supposed to be underexposed. Like they're supposed a, to be, it felt motivated. Yes. Yeah. Every time. And so, yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's, it's refreshing. Yeah. Love it. So uh, yeah. what are you going to recommend this week, man? So I was trying to stick with um, kind of like a street theme or whatever. Uh, yeah. So anyway, this this week I'm going to recommend City of Men. It's been a minute since I've I've seen it, but great film, great wow. film. I think it came out in 07, 06, 07, yeah. something like that. So you're there's two. There is City of God that was the first one, and then there's City of Men. Oh, and so City of Men. 
Nice. Well done, sir. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. City yeah. of God on our list of uh, uh, ones to cover. And so eventually oh, we'll, cool. we'll get to that because that's that, that was a seminal film in, in, in the film community. Um, yeah. Awesome. So I don't know. Maybe we'll follow it up also with uh, City of Men because that's a hell of a movie. Yeah, too. sure. Yeah. Nicely done. Hell man. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks. I'm not going to top that. I debated. I, this was a hard one because I'm like, part of me wants to recommend Juice. Part of me wants to recommend The Inkwell. I am going to go with uh, a, a new film. It's a French film that I saw. I caught randomly in the theaters called The Five Devils. It's a, I don't know. I, I like it a lot. I love it, to be completely honest. It's a small, intimate film. And it's French. And I don't know what they're doing, man. Apparently... My favorite films this year and last year have just basically been French films. And so uh, I got a little French man inside me that's trying to get out and I will feed him baguettes and whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever else he wants, fondue, <laughs> uh, butter. Uh, and so, yeah, I, check out The Five Devils. I'll just post a trailer. It's a very small film. I don't want to overhype it, uh, but it's got some really cool ideas. And I think it's it's most fun if you kind of go in blind and um, I love the style of the cinematography. I love the performances. Uh, just a really well-directed film. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say. Just hit play, maybe. And it's short. I think it's only like 90 minutes. Um, and so if you end up hating it, it's not that long. <laughs> so, uh, But I, it probably is a pretty strong love-hate kind of film. Yeah. And stay tuned for next week. I didn't want to quite leave the Hughes brothers yet. Um, and so I was like, let's, let's see some of what else is in their repertoire. We're going to check out the book of Eli, Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman, uh, Mila Kunis. I don't know what else you want in a film, but that's got it all. It's got it all post-apocalypse. Let's, let's see what they got going on, what else they they're capable of, um, and how they've progressed over the intervening, whatever it is, uh, 15 years or so. And so yeah, check out the book of Eli next week. And if you're enjoying the show, subscribe, drop us a review, uh, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about, the kind of things you find interesting. Big shout out to Brock Fine uh, for the request. Hope you enjoyed this. And, you know, feel free to drop us a note. Leave us why you love it, why you love Lorenz Tate in this. Yeah. And also shout out to Seth and Uva. They, they've been sending us some love over the trailer for uh, I Won't Let Me Down. Um, they, they saw that uh, and had a lot of good things to say. Seth was, you know, loving the 60 milli. He said that it looked great. He played it on, he said he went, he, he pulled it up on a big screen and, and watched it. And he was like, man, it, yeah, it looks really cool. Uh, so man, big That's thank awesome. you. Uh, same thing, Uva. Uva, uh, did you see his comment? Uh, he dropped a comment on The Great Dictator. Oh, no, no, I didn't. What? He left you a really great comment. Um, he was like, man, Todd, I, I didn't realize Todd looked like a Bradley Cooper. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, dude. <laughs> Appreciate that. I've, got, I've gotten that a couple of times. I don't see it at all, but I'll, I'll take it. That's a good looking man. <laughs> that is a good looking man. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And if you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at the com slash menace to society. And yes, that is two with II, the Roman numeral, which I have no idea. I think that was just part of the chaos of the titling. Because if you also look at the title um, itself, there's caps sometimes and there's lowercase. It's all mixed together. It's all chaotic, um, I think, to give a sense of the chaos of the film is my impression if I'm analyzing how someone titles their logo. <laughs>
Yeah. Good analysis. Uh, and our quote of the day is from Spike Lee. I respect the audience's intelligence a lot. And that's why I don't try to go for the lowest common denominator. And that's, I mean, honestly, half of what makes a great film is, are you, ma- are you, are you treating the audience with respect um, and intelligence? Um, and it, that might mean leaving a few people behind. You know what? That's all right. You're not making, you know, you're not necessarily making films for, for children. You know what I mean? If uh, you're making films for grown adults and not even just grown adults, specific types of people, right? Like a film like this is made for a specific type of person, right? Um, uh, and no matter what film it is, like know your your audience and and go at that, right? It doesn't have to be for everybody. In fact, if it's for everybody, it's for nobody. That's 100% what that what that means because you're going to lose the people that you are going after um, because you're speaking beneath them. So, yeah, it's, we talk about this all the time. So, great quote. Uh, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. Uh. That's it. You got nothing. That's it. That's all I got. I'm like, man. You okay, just cool. It. Yeah, cool. I, I, well, I just good. ran you around. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it was perfect. I I didn't have a thought, you know, laid in with it. I just I love what you said. So yeah, if you if you I'll just repeat it as a good ending note. If you try to appeal to everyone, then you really made something for no one. End of it. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for the suggestion, Menace to Society. What a great film. What a great experience. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you about it, Wes. Great, great insights there. Uh, make sure you join us next week. Book of Eli going down. And uh, subscribe, review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us with your friends. It all helps. It really does. Thank you so much again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.